Today, I want to talk to you about trading truth for a lie. Trading truth for a lie. I would bet that most of us in this room don't realize that we often trade truth for lies. We do it most of the time unaware that we're even doing it until we get into the lie and then we start to realize, "Uh uh-oh, something went wrong. And if we're diligent and we'll backtrack that, by the, led by the Holy Spirit, we'll backtrack that. The Holy Spirit will show us where we substituted or traded truth about God for a lie, and it led us astray. It, it happens to me. I'm always on the guard. I'm always watching out for the enemy. The Bible tells me to, I don't chase the enemy every day, but I'm always aware that he's around trying to substitute a lie for the truth. Since, since the beginning of Genesis, when he did that to Adam and Eve, he's still doing the same thing today, and we have to recognize that. And so today I want to talk to you about trading truth for a lie. Adam and Eve did that, and look at all the trouble we got into. So tomorrow when you're working hard and you're sweating and you're stressed out, or if you're having a baby and it's painful, just say thank you, Adam and Eve, for trading truth <laughs> For a lie. (laughs) They had the truth and the enemy of their soul convinced them to believe the lie. Today, many Christians have bought into the lie of Satan and were too busy, too distracted to serve God. Watch this now. To serve God how God wants to be served. Instead, we serve God how we think God needs to be served or what fits into our schedule to serve him or we serve him according to how we feel, not how he wants to be served because we've bought into a lie and we gave up the truth and so now we're distracted, now we're busy, we don't have time for God. Then we ultimately end up giving him our leftovers And he's the God who pulled us out of darkness. He's the God who gave us life. He's the God who washed away our sins. He's the God who gave us his spirit to empower us. He's the God who loves us with perfect love. But yet we still just give him leftovers. It's been happening since the book of Genesis and it's still happening today. In fact, there's people in this room today that have been substituting truth for a lie. And we've been giving God our leftovers and not our best. And that's a pralimo. Spanish for problem. <laughs> it's problemo. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. I'm, I just want to tell you, if you knew what was going through my head while I'm preaching, yeah, you'd pray for me a lot harder than you do. <laughs> Amen. Watch this. You know what Adam and Eve really did? They traded paradise something much less and something much harder. And that's the trick of the enemy is he doesn't want you in the will of God because if you're in the will of God, you're living in a type of paradise. Doesn't mean you don't have problems. It just means that you get through your problems better because you're with God and you're not separated from him. Come on, somebody. So he's getting you to to substitute paradise for something much less and something much harder. The best place a person can ever be is in the will of God. So today I want to go to Romans chapter 1. I'm going to grab a verse from Romans, and then we'll end up in the Old Testament today. For all my Old Testament junkies, got a few of them in the room. We'll start with one verse from Romans, then we'll go to the Old Testament. Romans chapter 1, 
starting in verse 25. I want to just kind of build it up. Paul starts the verse, starts the chapter or the book of Romans talking to the believers. So you need to understand the context. He's talking to the believers in Rome. He says, I'm writing this letter to the believers in Rome. So everyone who's a believer in Rome, this letter applies to them. So then he, he, he identifies who he's talking to, he identifies who he is, and then he goes into the letter talking about the goodness of Christ, the good news about Christ. And man, it's, it's great. I mean, like if you're reading the letter, if you're in, the, in those days and you're reading this letter, like, man, Paul's a good letter writer. Like, man, he, he's a good guy. Like, he really knows how to get my attention. He's talking about the goodness of Jesus, right? But it just feels good to your bones, doesn't it? But then all of a sudden he hits verse 18 and it's like, er, he hits the brakes, and he changes the whole tone of the letter. And instead of talking about the good news of Jesus, he starts talking about the anger of God towards sin. And it's a drastic tone change in the letter, even in the first chapter. And so we pick it up in verse 25. It says this, Paul said, They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. So they, they traded the truth about God for a lie and then they worshiped the creation instead of worshiping the creator. And there lies the problem. So I want to start with with a statement that I feel like you might ought to write this down. Knowing how God feels about sin and what he's done about it, we should be the most grateful, willing to serve him, people on the planet. Like There should be no one more grateful than we are. There should be no one more willing to serve God than we are. He broke the power of sin off of our lives. So we don't have to sin anymore. If we sin now, it's because we choose to, but we're not under its power anymore. It was broken. He, he set us free. He gave us life. We should be the most grateful, willing to serve him people on the planet. But if we're not careful, we can be the most complaining, murmuring, griping, ungrateful people there are around. And so the world sees us as people who gave our lives to Christ, but we're murmuring and complaining and griping and fussing and all these things. And they're going, well, hold up a second. I thought you were all that in a bag of chips. I thought God was all that in a bag of chips. Evidently, he's not that good because you don't sound no different than I do. So God has an issue with sin. I want you to understand something. From the beginning of the book to the end of the book, God never changes. God's feelings towards sin and disobedience has not changed. If he was angry in Genesis, he's angry today at sin. That doesn't mean that we serve an angry God. It just means that he hates sin. He hates disobedience. He hates false gods. And he still hates him today. The only difference maker is that now we have an advocate, Jesus, who's pleading our case before the Father. That's enough to make us grateful. 
So let me show you a few things. I'm not going to camp out here, but there's a few things that we just need to understand about how God feels about sin and idols and disobedience. In verse 21, it says they they, they continued to sin and they would not turn back to God. So he does some things that are worth talking about. In verse 21, it says their minds became dark and confused. Remember, he's speaking to believers in Rome. He's talking to Christians. This letter applies to us today. Their minds, because they would not quit sinning and they would not turn back to God, their minds became dark and they became confused. Verse 24 says that God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. You ever wonder why we live in such a jacked up world? You ever wonder why people are sleeping with the wrong people? People today are confused about who they are. Am I male? Am I female? Am I pronoun? Am I a clown? I don't know. I mean, it's just like people are confused. That's the Bible. They're confused. Their minds have gone dark, and they're confused, and we live in this world. But we've been, we've been made alive by the Spirit of God, and we shouldn't be that way. Followers of Jesus should never be confused, and our minds certainly should never be dark. But when we walk in disobedience and we refuse to turn back to God, he will eventually, at some point, I don't know when, turn us over to ourselves. And boy, I tell you what, that's that's a fear that lives inside of me. I don't ever want to get my heart so hardened and my head so stubborn that God has to turn me over to myself. Because I remember when I lived for myself. It wasn't good. Then it says they traded the truth about God for a lie. And then they started worshiping the things God created instead of the creator himself. In verse 28, this is a a pretty famous verse. It says that in the NLT, it says, God abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that they should never have done. In other translations, it uses two different terms. One term is debased. God turned them over to a debased mind. The most common term is, is reprobate. God turned them over to a reprobate mind. Now, those are some big words that we don't ever use. So let me give you a little bit of a definition. Reprobate, to have a reprobate mind is to have a mind that is given over to sinful passions and ungodly desires. It is a person who is set on satisfying their flesh. We use the term, they're hell-bent on doing that. Does that make sense? That's a reprobate mind. They're hell-bent on satisfying their flesh. They're hell-bent on pleasing themselves. They're hell-bent on not recognizing that they ought to be worshiping God, but instead they're worshiping themselves. Does that help? Is that clear? So because these people kept sinning and they wouldn't turn back to God, he turned them over to a reprobate mind. I'm just trying to help you understand how God feels about disobedience, how God feels about sin, how God feels about idols, how God feels about us worshiping creation and not worshiping him. So you got to understand that God's not an enforcer to us. He doesn't force his will on us. He's looking for people who are willing to serve him. He desires a people who are glad to serve him. A people who ask, how can I serve you? You see the heart shift? It's not about my desires, and that's spiritual maturity, baby. When, it, when it's less about you and it's more about God and the people that he loves, that's maturity. Maturity is growing past yourself.
He gave us Jesus to break the power of sin over us. And if we want to come out from that, we can. We can come out from that. In fact, that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. The Holy Spirit is inviting us into a better life constantly. That's why we get convicted of sin. Conviction is just an identification that, hey, you're not in the right place. You're not doing the right thing. Your heart is a little bit dark and a little bit skewed. Come back here. Come back here. That's conviction. Conviction is a calling back to life. Condemnation is a pushing further into death. Come on, that's good stuff. So the Holy Spirit convicts us. He invites us back into the relationship. But you need to remember that at some point, if you're going to be hell-bent on satisfying yourself, God just might turn you over to yourself. And my friends, that's a desperate, desperate, dangerous place to be. So let's talk a little bit about what that looks like because I feel like I just need to put something practical on this. What does that actually look like to, to trade truth for a lie, to worship creation instead of the creator? What does that actually look like? Let me give you nine things real quick. We might, we might find ourselves worshiping, um, worshiping intelligence. The tendency of well-educated people is to become prideful in their education. Now, there's nothing wrong with being educated. We should all be educated. We should all be growing and learning all the time, whether in a college or at home or somewhere or form or shape. We should all be growing in knowledge and understanding and intelligence. But intelligence is a horrible thing to worship. Because when you worship your intelligence, you, you actually declare your lack of need for God because I got this. It's here, so I don't need God. I don't need wisdom from heaven. I got intelligence. Is this making sense? Sometimes we, we might worship beauty. And so if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves trying to tweak and turn and bend and inject and shape and bondo and all these cracks and crevices because we're trying to look like somebody on TV or social media who's been, they've been through the body shop. Like they, they, they got Bondo, like it took four hours to make them look that good. They walked in looking like a dog and, and we sitting over here with some Walmart makeup trying to look like that going, and God's going, what are you doing? I didn't create you to look like them. If I wanted you to look like them, I'd have made you like them. I made you to be like you. You're beautiful to me. But instead, we'll, we'll spend our time, our energy, our emotions, our finances trying to fit into a world we don't even belong to anymore. We might find ourselves worshiping influence or being easily influenced. We might find ourselves worshiping wealth. <laughs> you want to see how you trade the truth for a lie? Who's your provider? Answer, who's your provider? So if God's our provider, and not all of you wanted to answer that question because y'all know I'm a little facetious and I might just, I'm up to something. But the answer is God is my provider. So if God is my provider, why am I sacrificing my family on the altar of provision to try to be my own provider? Why am I spending 80 hours a week at work? Why am I killing myself emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually in every area trying to provide for myself 
We do that because we bought into the lie that God is not my provider. I'm my provider. And it sounds like a noble thing because I'm making money for my family. I'm providing for my family. That's the American lie. I've been on both sides of the equation. God wants us. He tells us to work hard, and he says, we'll eat if we work. Okay, work is a good thing, but work is a horrible God. And if we buy into the lie that I'm my provider now, we take all the pressure of provision on ourselves, and we die an early death because we've killed ourselves trying to be what only God could be. Watch this. And the whole time we're doing it, listening to the lie of the enemy, I'll get time with my kids. I'll get time with my kids if I can just make it to this. I'll get time with my kids if I just get this promotion. I'll have time with my kids if we're going to have some time. There's going to be some time. There's going to be some time. They're only one years old one time. They're only five one time. They only go through puberty usually one time. They, <laughs> I'm just saying. Sometimes they come back. <laughs> They're only teenagers one time. And if you're not careful, you sacrifice your family on the altar of provision because you bought into the lie. You've substituted paradise for something harder and less. But it sounds noble. The world credits me. The world celebrates me. He's a hardworking man. Let's give him a promotion. Let's give him a raise. And let's give him, let's slip in some more responsibility. Your boss is at work just to, just to get the most out of you. I'm just telling you right here. He ain't looking out for your spiritual condition. And yet the whole next generation is dying. Don't even know who God is. And we're missing out on memories. Missing out on moments. Missing out on the great opportunity to influence the next generation because we've bought into a lie. We've traded the truth for a lie. Sometimes it's accomplishment, number five. Sometimes we worship talent. We give more acknowledgement and praise to people who are highly talented and don't give anything to someone who's faithful. Sometimes we worship people. Sometimes we worship sex. Don't tell me sexual immorality ain't running rampant today. It's running rampant today. And it's twisted as much as it's ever been twisted. Here's a big one, number nine. Sometimes we worship what other people think of us. What's funny about that one is we end up letting other people dictate the course of our life and letting God, instead of letting God dictate the course of our life. So if someone questions, it's like, why are you doing that? Why, like, why'd you do that? Why'd you go there? Why are you hanging out with them? Why are you being this on Sundays? Why do you give your money to the church? Why do you do all this? If you are not secure in who you are in Christ, you end up following what they say. You follow their questions, or you let their questions lead you away from God. You buy into the lie, and you give away the truth. Yeah, buddy. It's all around us. So I want to look at Moses and Israel for the rest of our time together. I want you to go with me to Exodus. We're going to be in chapter 32. But I'm going to kind of give you a preview from chapter 24. In chapter 24, Moses is meeting with God's people, the nation of Israel. 
and he's opened up the book of the covenant. And he's given the people God's instructions. Now, now hear me in this. God's instructions are good for us. They're not bad for us. If the Bible says don't get drunk with wine, you probably ought to not get drunk. If the Bible says don't eat too much, you probably ought to not eat too much. Come on, somebody. Preacher preaching to himself. God's instructions are always good for us. Our issue with his instructions is we don't like them because they cross our will. They come against our flesh. So in chapter 24, Moses is giving them God's instructions. And then they come, they come up with this response. And I want you to hear what they say because most of us have made a comment like this. They, said, they make this comment, we will do everything the Lord has commanded. That's right, they said everything. Moses gave them the instructions. He gave them the instructions. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. That's what they said. So then the, it goes on. So then Moses brings in a sacrifice, an animal, sacrifices the animal, drains out half the blood, takes the other half of the blood, and he sprinkles the altar of the Lord. And then they said, again, we will do everything the Lord has commanded us. So twice they make this statement. We will do everything the Lord has commanded us. When you first met Jesus, you would do anything for him. But as you went along with Jesus, you started to slip. Don't shout me down when I'm being truthful. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. Then Moses takes the blood and he sprinkles it on them. Confirming the covenant that they just made with God. So watch this. The children of Israel... And God came into a blood-bought agreement. God says, here's my instructions. Man said, we'll do everything that you said. Sprinkled them with blood, covenant sealed. They went into covenant. They didn't go into contract. Contracts are meant to be broken. Covenants can never be broken. Now, this story sounds real familiar to what Jesus did for us. He was, he was hung on a cross. He was pierced in his side. He bled for us. His blood sealed the covenant between us and God. God's holding up his end of the deal, but we struggle to hold up ours. And some Christians believe that that agreement was a contract and not a covenant. So we think I can get out and in whenever I want to, like it's satellite TV. So it's football season. I'm going to go ahead and get me some satellite for football season, but I'm going to drop them like a bad habit when football season's over with. For some of us, that's our relationship with Jesus. I'm going to get you when I need you, but when we're done, you're done. Now, you might not say it that harsh. You might not think it's that harsh, but I wonder how he sees it. So then God calls Moses and about 70 or so people up on the mountain and he's basically going to give them the Ten Commandments. He's going, to, he's going to etch into stone Ten Commandments while Moses is up on the mountain. So they go up on the mountain in chapter 24, 25. And I, I, I mean, I, I realize God doesn't always move as fast as I want him to, right? 
So they go up in chapter 24. They don't come down to chapter 32 or 33. I don't know the space and time of that, but it seems like it's a long time. But once again, God was going to give them instructions on two stone tablets, and he was going to etch it, and it was going to be a miraculous thing. So I guess it took a little bit of time. And the people become impatient. You ever became impatient? And they force Aaron, who's in charge, to make another god for them to worship because they're just not sure what happened to Moses. Exodus chapter 32, verse 6. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. I just need to stop right there for a minute. Because as a pastor, it blows my mind what we're willing to get up early for and what we're not willing to get up early for. We'll get up early for some t-ball. We'll get up early for a bird. We'll get up early for a fish. We'll get up early for a deer. We'll get up early to hit all the garage sales before everybody else gets over there with their $2. We'll get up early to go shopping. We'll get up early to do this. We'll get up early to do that. But then we struggle to get up early to meet with the author of life. It blows my mind when people go, man, I got up at 4.30 this morning. Really? What would you do? You met with Jesus? No, bro, I killed the deer. They got up early to worship a false god. Look at your neighbor and say, you better get you some. And after they got up early and they worshipped and made sacrifices to this false god, they celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. I don't know what revelry means, but it don't sound good. <laughs> and so Moses, so, so get this, the people are at the foot of the mountain. They convinced Aaron to make a false god out of gold. They gave all their jewelry or some of their jewelry so he could burn it and melt it into the shape of a calf, a golden calf. And they created for themselves a false god. And then they got up early to celebrate and worship the false god. Does this sound familiar at all? And God and Moses are up on the mountain. Watch what happens next. The Lord said to Moses, quick, go down the mountain. Your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They didn't get corrupted. They corrupted themselves. You know Satan is the most overaccused person in the world. Being or whatever he is, he gets accused of corrupting us, and all we did was corrupt ourselves. Well, the devil made me do it. The devil didn't make you do that. He showed you the opportunity. You jumped in with both feet. God saw it. <laughs> Verse 8, watch. You need, you need to see God's, God's temper towards this. <laughs> How quickly they have turned away from the way I commanded them to live. Only eight verses, eight chapters ago, they were saying, we will do everything the Lord's commanded. They have melted down gold and made a calf, and they have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Are you serious? Like, like, you don't mess with God. They messed with God. They just said that this golden image that they created was the God who brought them out of Egypt. 
How quickly we forget what God's delivered us from. How quickly we forget how he delivered us. He's the same. They were saying that God who brought us out of Egypt with all these plagues and everything, split the Red Sea for us to cross, annihilated our enemy, fed, gave us water from a rock, fed us from heaven on the way to a promised land, didn't bring us out of Egypt. This golden thing that we've created did. How do you think God feels about that? I'm about to show you. Then the Lord said, I've seen how stubborn, any stubborn people in here? Rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so my fierce anger can blaze against them. I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. He's like, that's it, I'm done. I'm wiping all these suckers out. Moses, we're going to start all over with you. You see, we've bought into the grace message so hard, and it's real. It's 100% real. God's grace is amazing. But we've bought into it so hard that we've forgotten how God really feels about disobedience. How God feels about false idols and, and worshiping things that were created instead of worshiping the creator. If God was a jealous God back then, he's still a jealous God today. God wants to destroy them because of their rebellion and their stubbornness. So Moses goes down and he takes care of business. <laughs> he rebukes the people. Then he finds Aaron who's leading the people and he gets up in Aaron's grill and here's Aaron's excuse in verse 23. They said to me, Sound like the Garden of Eden? They said to me, make us gods who will lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. Can you say chicken? You see, the real issue was is they were looking for someone to lead them because Moses wasn't there. They got uncomfortable. They weren't comfortable in the place that they were in. They didn't know what happened to Moses. He took too long. Some of us have an issue with God because he takes too long. We prayed our eyes out, cried in tears, wept till the floor was wet, believing that God was going to do it tomorrow, and he didn't do it tomorrow, so we went and did it ourselves and messed it all up. You see, God's people have had a habitual habit, a habitual habit, Y'all know what I'm saying? They've had a habit, a very strong habit, of, of not waiting on God. We have a bad habit of not waiting on God. Chapter 24, he gave them their instructions, did the whole blood thing, had the whole ceremony, all this stuff. Animal died. We'll do everything you say. Chapter 32, oh, he's taking too long. They weren't willing to wait for God. You see, impatient people always get into trouble. Can I get an amen? amen? I always get into trouble when my patience runs thin. Lord, help us if we're trying to leave for vacation. Come on, somebody. 
It don't matter when you pack. There's still going to be some struggle in the morning. Just to try to get impatience. Dang near killed the trip. I mean, you spent thousands of dollars to go to a beautiful place in the country, and you can't even get out the door without almost killing each other because you're just impatient. I've just heard stories of people doing that. I don't know, I don't know what that's like myself, but, you know, never really had those experiences, but I might actually be the author of that experience. <laughs> I believe that most believers have trouble following God simply because they haven't had the patience to sit with him and know him. I'm telling you, this is a word of the Lord right now. God's been telling me that. He's been telling some of our leaders that. That we struggle so bad because we don't know how to sit with God and know him. The Bible says to be still and know God. We have a hard time sitting still. And because of that, we don't know God. We struggle to hear his voice because we don't sit still long enough. We don't sit still because when we sit still, everything catches up with us. We don't like to sit still and be quiet because old thoughts come back. Pain comes back. Struggles come back. They catch up with us when we sit still. Which is crazy because if you're actually sitting still to be with God, let your junk come with it. Because he's the one who deals with your junk. <laughs> he's the God who wants your junk to come. Bring all your junk. I'm going to take that from you, buddy, if you'll just sit still long enough. But yet we don't sit still. So most Christians have this epidemic in their life. I just can't hear from God. I can't hear from God. Number one, you're not reading your Bible because God spoke here. Number two, you're probably not sitting long enough and your heart is remaining anxious so you're not able to hear God. You see, to sit still with God, you actually have to sit down, like physically sit down. Oh! Then you need to lock your phone up at your neighbor's house. And turn all the devices off. And you got to sit in silence. Pastor, that's just kind of weird. No, it's natural. You're just not familiar with natural. Who do you think created silence? But we won't sit. So then we miss out on knowing. We miss out on knowing. We end up chasing things we're not supposed to chase. We don't trust God. We don't believe God. We don't believe his truth. So we, we easily give up truth for a lie because we don't know the God of the truth. Because we refuse to sit still long enough. We're impatient. We get mad at God when we pray for something and he doesn't show up when we expect him to show up. So then we give up or we go and make our own provision and we get ourselves tied into a knot simply because we weren't ready to wait for God's perfect timing. We thought our timing was perfect. Come on. So we go and we make golden calves. And we give them all the credit for what God's done. Because we're impatient. But it's hard. It's hard to sit still. It's hard. 
I get it. But you can you can overcome that. You can get good at it. So we miss out on knowing him. You see where their impatience got them in trouble. So Moses comes down and the Lord said to kill him. <laughs> Get you some of that. It went dark quick, didn't it? So Moses called in the Levites and he told them to grab their swords and to go back and forth through the camp and kill people. This is Bible. Read your Bible. This is Bible. This is how God feels about disobedience and sin. Remember, though, we have an advocate for us, Jesus, who loves us and cares for us. All glory and honor and praise. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't feel the same way today. So the Levites go throughout the camp and they kill about 3,000 people. Some of those people were their brothers or sisters or friends or cousins or whatever. And then Moses goes back up the mountain to intercede for the people. You know what's cool about Moses is him and God had a really unique relationship. When Moses wanted to kill the people, God said, convince Moses not to kill the people. When God wanted to kill the people, Moses did his best to convince God not to kill the people. They had a very unique relationship. God's like, no, I'm done this time, bro. I'm killing them. And Moses is like, please don't kill them. Please don't kill them. And then two chapters later, Moses is like, take them out. And God's like, no, I'm a patient God. I love these people. It's a very unique relationship. I'm just saying. So Moses goes up on the mountain to intercede for the people. And the Lord sent him back down. But he sent, him back, he sent Moses back down to keep the people going towards the promised land. The people that just made a calf out of gold and were worshiping creation instead of the creator. He was still going to take them to the promised land. That's what we miss out on God when we don't sit still is that God loves us even though we sin. God loves us even in our failures. He hates our failures. He hates our sin. But he loves us. And then we get to chapter 34 of Exodus and God warns the people. And this is where I'm going to spend a little bit of time and I'm going to get up in your business a little bit. So there's your warning. God warns them of some hazards they will face. Because here's the reality. You're going to walk out of here today and you're going to be faced with some creational gods that are going to beg you to worship them. And if you're not ready, you'll fall into it. Exodus 34, verse 12. It's the Lord speaking. He says, be very careful never to make a treaty with the people who live in the land where you are going. If you do, you will follow their evil ways and be trapped. Instead, you must break down their pagan altars, smash their sacred pillars, and cut down their Asherah poles. Can I just read that one more time? Be careful never to make a treaty with the people who live in the land where you are going. If you do make a treaty with them, you will follow their evil ways and be trapped. Instead of making a treaty with them, you need to walk into that city and you need to tear down their pagan altars. You need to smash their sacred pillars and you need to cut down their Asherah poles. God said, don't go in there and conform to them. Go in there and annihilate their false gods. 
But yet the church today has a habit of giving in. We're a compromising church. We don't stand against nothing. We murmur amongst ourselves, but ain't nobody tearing down nothing. Ain't nobody smashing nothing. Ain't nobody breaking nothing. We just complain about it. When God said, instead, break, smash, and tear down. Verse 14, you must worship no other gods, for the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. You must not, here he says it again, you must not make a treaty of any kind with the people living in the land. They lust after their gods, offering sacrifices to them. They will invite you to join them in their sacrificial meals, and you will go with them. Then you will accept their daughters who sacrifice to other gods as wives for your sons, and they will seduce your sons to commit adultery against me by worshiping other gods. You must not make any gods of molten metal for yourselves. So what's God saying to us? In this time, in this season, what is God saying to us about our city? Is he saying compromise? Is he saying conform? Is he saying fit in? Those words still ring true today. Break down, smash, cut down, don't put up with it, stand against it. That's what he's saying to us today. Yet some of you have already picked out your kid's Halloween costume. And you got your little bag ready to go pick some candy and holla trick or treat. Because it's cool. It's demonic. You can't even redeem it because the devil made it up. Yet we'll go chankety chankety Mardi Gras. It's demonic. It's no different than an Asherah pole. It's no different than a golden calf. Yet Christians all over the world and in this church... And I feel embarrassed for even having to say it. My kids never went to trick or treat. They're still alive today. Oh my God. They never Mardi Gras. They're still alive today. They actually have friends, they actually have a brain, they actually know God. I'm just telling you what God tells me to say. It's the stupidest thing in the world for a Christian to go celebrate a holiday that was created by the devil. It's just as stupid as burning your gold up and making a golden calf. But yet Christians all over the world do it today. And we justify the mess out of it. Oh, We'll do a celebration but not call it Halloween. Last year we had, there was a Facebook ad in the Eunice Community Facebook page and it said, it was, a, it was an orange picture, Halloween events for the city. Two churches were named. I went to one of those pastors. I invited him to lunch. I said, hey, bro, God wanted me to invite you to lunch, and we need to talk. I pulled up the picture. I said, here you go. He's a friend of mine. I said, read the top. Halloween events or celebrations for the city of Eunice. Whose church is that? Well, I didn't advertise there. No, but you celebrated. 
and we spent the next hour him trying to justify. And we had a spiritual tug of war. And I go, bro, you can't convince me. You can rename it. You can reframe it. I call bull. It is absolutely time for us to move past this junk. We need to grow the heck up and recognize and be real with ourselves about what is what. It goes into the movies you watch. It goes into the music you listen to. Sure got quiet up in this church. I love you enough to tell you the truth. I'm not going to put some butter on you while you go to hell. I'm not going to put some butter on you while you, you live like hell. There's other churches in town that believe in it, and you can go celebrate with them. But I'm not backing down. As long as anybody in this church celebrates Halloween and Mardi Gras, I'm going to say something. Because there's a better life for us than that. We're substituting paradise for something demonic. And it will break my heart if you leave this church to go to a church that doesn't talk about it. And I can only imagine what it's going to do to God's heart. But God said to go in and break down the pagan altars, smash their sacred pillars, and cut down their Asherah poles because of verse 14. We need to go back to verse 14. We need to always go back to verse 14. You need to hear verse 14 now. Verse 14 says, you must worship no other gods, for the Lord whose very name is jealous is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. Let's unpack that for a minute. He's a jealous God. Why is he so jealous? First of all, if you need to realize, he's jealous because of our relationship. He's jealous because he wants all of your affection. He wants all of your attention. He wants your time. He wants your best. He put the best in you. He just wants it back. And he wants to give you his best. And, and, and just let me say this. There's more. There's more with God. When you walk with God and you live a life that's connected with God, there's always more. We never find the end of him. He is always good, never ending good. And he's jealous for us. First Peter chapter 1. Go with me real quick, then I'm going to wrap this up. Why is God so jealous? First Peter chapter 1 verse 16. If you remember this from last week, we talked about, I think it was last week or the week before, we talked about how the, the seraphim that, that, um, that um, Isaiah saw in the vision, the seraphim were the heavenly beings who were worshiping God. They were shouting to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You remember that? Remember that message? Okay, that word holy means to be set apart. Like God is so far away from evil that you can't even describe it. They said it three times. When, it, when holy was said three times, it meant that God was so set apart that the language of man can't even communicate how far he is set apart from evil. Now I'll go to 1 Peter. You must be holy because I am holy. 
Your greatest connection to God is in the context of holiness. Did you hear what I said? Your greatest connection to God is in the context of holiness. This verse is an invitation to us. It's an invitation from Leviticus that says this, you must be holy because I'm holy. God's saying if you will set yourself apart from me, we can have a relationship like you've never known before. We can have a relationship that you can't even imagine. He's inviting us into being holy with him. He's saying because I'm holy, you should be holy. You know what God's really saying? If you really want to be with me, just be holy. Be set apart for my special purpose. Holiness is not found in Halloween. Holiness is not found chasing a chicken on Mardi Gras. So what do we do? We take a break. I'm going to pause my Christianity and go be a pagan for a minute, have a little pagan reunion. I get invited to my pagan reunion. And then when I'm done with that, I'm going to come back to God. God's inviting us to be holy because he's holy. And the greatest part of our relationship is found in the context of holiness. Doesn't mean that God wouldn't, won't relate to you. Doesn't mean that he won't speak to you. Doesn't mean that he won't come rescue you. It just means that the best part of the relationship is found in the context of holiness. It's when you as a mature Christian decide to give up the world and set yourself apart for Jesus. And you get your butt up early in the morning and you spend time with Jesus. And you dedicate your day to Jesus. And you ask Jesus what he wants you to do today. And then you go actually do it. You're screaming to God, I love to be with you. And God goes, oh boy, he wants or she wants to be with me. And then we get invited into almost like a holy of holies where we get invited to this inner place with God. That's where the anointing flows. That's where the gifts begin to get empowered. That's where all this stuff starts to happen. You start to see the world for the way it really is. And you start to see demonic things. And you see holy things. And you go, whoa, this is all making sense. Simply because I set myself apart for God's purpose. I no longer wanted to be like the world. He wants us to be holy so that there'll be nothing between us. You ever sit at a table and somebody put a big old decoration on the table and you're sitting across from each other and the thing's in the way? You ever go to a restaurant like they don't think about that kind of stuff? They just put this big old flower in the middle of the table and you're sitting on four people and only two of us can see each other? And you're like, hey, how you been, Sha? Y'all been okay over there? It's the weirdest thing until somebody takes it and moves it out the way, right? 
Not being holy, not setting yourself apart for Jesus is leaving something in the way of the relationship and it, it, con it conflicts the relationship, it complicates the relationship because now this thing has been invited into the relationship and God's a jealous God who don't want it there. <sighs> so God created us for his pleasure. And he gave us creation for our pleasure. But he didn't give us creation to become our God. He never created creation to take his place. So the minute we worship money or provision, we've just given up God and we're worshiping creation. And so on and so on. All right, let me wrap it up. Now what? Four things real quick. God, I pray these get into you. These are your responsibility, by the way. What I'm getting ready to give you is your responsibility. It's not your spouse's responsibility. It's not the world's responsibility. It's not your chaos's responsibility. It's not your hurts and wounds responsibility. It is your responsibility for these next four things. Number one, you need to make sure you are holy. You are responsible for your holiness. If holiness is to be set apart for God's special purpose, then you have a responsibility in that. How do I do that? This is how you do it. Very simple. You sit down and be still and quiet, and you say something like this. Holy Spirit, is there any other gods in my life that I don't recognize? Holy Spirit, am I giving my best to something other than the God of all creation? Holy Spirit, you're inviting the Holy Spirit in to tell you what he sees in you that you can't see in yourself. Holy Spirit, come and show me any place inside of me that would cause God to be jealous. You got that? It's a simple request, an invitation, and then this is what happens, and you need to expect this. The Holy Spirit will come in. And if you're listening, he will begin to point some things out. When he does, he's not condemning you. He's convicting you, which is help. And he's saying to you something like this. This thing here, it needs to go. This right here, it needs to die. And what he usually means is right away. Now, right away begins with your moment with him where you repent and you turn from it. But then you have to actually go and deal with it. You have to actually go and deal with it. If you just repent to him, but you don't actually turn from it, you didn't really repent. You just pulled the fast one on him or tried to. Is there any idols in my life? Show me. I don't want to make God jealous. I don't want to upset God. I don't want to offend him by worshiping something that he never intended me to worship. So make sure you're holy. Number two, make sure you're obedient. Make sure you're obedient to what he's told you both in person, because the Holy Spirit will speak to you directly, but also make sure that you're obedient to his word. in person, and his word. 
make sure you're obedient. Number three, make room for him. You need to make room in your life for God. Which simply means this, if you don't have room and your greatest excuse is I don't have time, then something needs to die. Something needs to be canceled. Something needs to be walked away from. Something needs to be finished. If anything is pulling you away from God, that thing needs to die because God is jealous of it. It's not complicated, y'all. It's really not. But yet we relentlessly take on things that God never tells us to take on and we create false gods. What's interesting about the children of Israel in this, this story is that after the Levites kill almost 3,000 people and Moses continues them on the journey and God warns them not to, take, to make a treaty with the people of the land, the Bible says that they changed. How could they not? <laughs> It said when Moses would go into the Holy of Holies, they would peek out of their tents and just look. It also says that they quit wearing their jewelry. I'm not suggesting that you quit wearing makeup, grow your hair long, and wear a skirt. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying if there's something in your life that's like a jewelry to the Israelites, you need to get rid of it. They got rid of anything because they didn't want anything to represent their failure. because that would be showing off in front of God. They quit it like a bad habit. They quit it. And then number four, after you've made sure that you're holy, you made sure that you're obedient, and you've made room for him, here's a big question that's been in my heart lately. Number four, make sure that you are in his will and not your own. Make sure that you are in God's will and not your own. And here's a question that I want to ask you today. And I want you to be really, really honest with yourself. I've been asking myself the same question. And, and I'm, I'm torn by my answer. And I want, you, I want you to hear me very humbly. I'm torn by my answer because my answer can almost sound prideful. And so I, I don't know exactly how to handle my answer to that question of, am I doing what God wants me to do? But the honest answer to that question, for me personally, this is Pastor Jamie, this is just Jamie, okay? It ain't even Pastor this is just Jamie. I am in the will of God for my life. I haven't always been but I currently am. I'm doing everything that he's telling me to do, and I'm not doing any more than he wants me to do. And I'm trying to be really careful how I move forward because I like the place that I'm at. I like being in his will. But, buddy, there's a lot of things that look really good out there. And, boy, I get tempted all the time to go, Ooh, ah, can I just be real with you? I'm not being prideful. I'm currently doing everything that God wants me to do. I'll give you a quick story and then I'll stop. Roughly nine or ten years ago, 
<clears throat> we were, Cheryl and I were bivocational. We still had the company and we were pastoring the church and we were, I, I was extremely unhealthy, burnout. And, and finally, God arranged it so that we could quit the company and <clears throat> go in the ministry full time. And so we did. And so after a season of recovery, God spoke to me one day and he said, he said, I want you to do three things. He said, I want you to pastor the church as your priority. It, it trumps everything. I want you to buy cattle and I want you to buy rent houses. Well, I understood that the church took priority. I was excited to buy cattle. I didn't want to buy rent houses. My mama was in the rent house business. I was the plumber. I was the grunt. I don't like my own sewage, much less somebody else's sewage. Come on, can I get a witness in this place? So I'm like, I ain't buying no rent houses. I was straight up rebellious. Instead, I took the money that I was given and I bought into Amazon because my buddies were making money in Amazon. So I thought, well, if they're making money in Amazon, then I can go make money in Amazon. So God, I got this. We don't need rent houses. We're going to go do it in Amazon. Do you think he blessed that? After we lost $20,000 in Amazon, I repented. I literally got on my face before God and repented because I had stepped outside of his will for my life. Now, I still don't fully understand why he wants me to have cattle and to have rental properties, okay? I've asked a thousand times. He said, you're going to see as you go. I'm like, okay. As soon as I repented, someone gave me a house. As soon as I started walk, working on that house, taking steps forward into God's will, someone approached me to buy seven more houses at a fantastic deal. After that, someone else approached me to buy some houses, and they were going to finance it for me so it wouldn't cost me a lot of money to go to the bank. I didn't want to do it. God didn't bless my disobedience because he never will. But the minute I repented and turned back to him, his blessings returned to me, and things began to work out. And so I stand before you today. I don't know why. I'd love to be just a regular old pastor. That's, a, that's all I got to do for a living is just pastor the church. But God's got me raising cattle and buying rent houses. And, and I don't always like it because rent houses are crazy. And I really believe that we are in God's will for our lives right now. And I want to handle that carefully because I don't want to seem prideful because I don't want God to pull his hand from me because I'm walking in pride. But there's, there's a difference between pride and confidence. Because you see, time and time again, I've wrestled this thing out with God. I've laid it at his altar. I've laid the cows at his altar. I've laid the rent houses at his altar. I've laid them out. I took the sabbatical and said, Lord, do you really want me to do this? I can't tell you how many times I've said that to him. Do you really want me doing this? Like, can I just give this up? About two months ago, I said that to him, and he rebuked me. He said, don't ever ask me that question again. This is what I want you to do. Go do it. And so I won't ever ask that question again. I'm just going to do it until I understand why I'm doing it. Does that help? I just felt like the Lord wanted me to share an example with you. I promise you I'm not boasting. I am not, I'm not, trust me, I'm not proud. But I'm confident. And, and this is what I'm learning right now, right this minute. When I do what God says to do, 
It's like the wind is in my sail. Doesn't mean the seas don't get a little turbulent, but the wind is in my sail. When I step out of his will for my life and I do my own thing, I get a paddle. And the wind is in my face. And I have to strive. And I have to work. And everything feels like it's uphill. And I'm striving. So what I'm learning is that the indicator of me stepping outside of God's will is when things get really hard. Meaning I have to now start striving. That means I'm either trying to run ahead of God or I'm trying to run away from God. Is this helping? So I want to stay where the wind's blowing. So let me ask you that question one more time. And I want you to answer it in, in yourself. I want you to answer it very honestly. Are you doing everything God wants you to do? And are you doing more than God wants you to do? And you can ask him, same way you'd invite the Holy Spirit in to show you if you're unholy in some areas. You could say to God, would you help me to understand? Holy Spirit, would you show me if I'm outside of your will? Or would you confirm that I'm inside your will? Because there's a confidence that comes up inside of you when you know that you're in his will and not your own. Amen? I hope this helps you. God loves us. He invites us into the goodness that he has for us. If we don't go, it's because we don't want to go. But you've been invited into his goodness. You've been invited into a paradise type of relationship with God. It has its troubles, but boy, they sure seem a whole lot less when you're in his presence and you're in his will. And today, he's inviting us into that. And I believe this message is a warning to us as a church to not make a treaty with the land that we're living in. We should be extremely different than the world that we live in. Set apart, holy, because he is holy. Doesn't mean that we get religious. Doesn't mean that we use a bunch of religious terms and get wacky. It just means that we walk out in confidence knowing that I'm doing what God's called me to do. I'm set apart for, I don't belong to this world. I belong to kingdom now. I got a new address, a new home. I've been adopted into a new family. Come on, somebody. You know you don't like your family. No, I'm joking. Some of you actually have good family. And if you're sitting with your parents, you just say, you know, I got good family. Be the best way to get lunch bought for. Let's pray. Let's get, let's get quiet for a minute. Because I believe the Holy Ghost wants to talk to us today. Lord, I invite you to speak to us this morning. I believe you already have. But I believe there's some folks in here today that just really need to hear your voice. They've been struggling to know, struggling to hear. In fact, the enemy's trying to condemn them because they haven't heard. God, would your grace abound in this moment? Would you come and help us where we're helpless? Holy Ghost, would you speak to us today?
give us your words of life. Search our hearts. Point out anything that's unpleasing to you. Point out anything that would grieve you, Holy Spirit. We want to be holy because God is holy. We want to be set apart because God is set apart. Holy Spirit, would you show us anything that, that, that's inside of us or outside of us that's offensive to you? Would you show us right now? tempted again to go work another 80 hour week trying to provide for our family while we sacrifice our family on the altar of provision God would you lead us into a better place would you lead us into a healthier place would you show us the goodness of your land would you teach us the confidence of being in your will we're not all going to get it right today Lord but I thank you that your grace is with us. And well, we will get it right. <clears throat> we will find the sweet spot. Lead us there today. <clears throat> 